0: Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. My music business podcast where I talk to a whole host of different people in and around the music industry about what reasons there were behind them entering the music business in the first place and their motivations for staying in the music business and what they get out of it and how they navigate it. This week's podcast is about sync and composition and music for advertising and film and TV with Alex Lodge of 32 Music. Alex had me over for a cup of tea and a chat at their East London offices. Uh, we caught up about working in sync, about compositions, and also about setting up their record label truant and about some of the artists that they're working with at the moment some of the releases that have been already out and some of the releases that are coming up it was awesome having a catch up with alex Uh, he's one of the guys that i really looked up to in sync when i was uh, a newbie in in that area of the business he's uh, a great guy to to chat to he's a really open and honest person really good guy to, to just sound off against and I think a lot of his views on working within the business I share things about networking and and business development that we talk about in this bit in this podcast I really do share his his ideas and his sensibilities so Sit back, relax, and listen to my conversation about everything to do with synchronisation with Alex Lodge of 32 Music. We've always come across as very, very passionate about music a lot of people who end up working in the music industry do not end up working here because they're not passionate about it. So what no, is your relationship with music from from an early early age?
1: I guess it's just what I've always done without really questioning it. It was never really a sort of choice. My mother put me and my brother into like piano lessons and stuff when we were really really young and uh, so I was playing the piano from the age of about 5, I think.
0: Did you see yourself um, as A creator? Do you still see yourself as...
1: I've never seen myself as a creator, (laughs) no. I don't think I have a... um, a lot of musicians have a particular focus so they will put that particular label on themselves, like Mm -hmm. I'm a creator, I'm a composer, I'm a performer. I don't think I've ever really had that, I was just, I just loved music, I was never really good enough to be a professional performer, Mm -hmm. Uh, I wouldn't, I was never interested in composition for some reason. But you did music Education. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was. I, at I university always and did um, masters levels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I did my undergraduate degree at uh, Edinburgh University, yeah. and um, I stopped performing as quickly as I possibly could. Then, like by the end of your second year, you had to give a concert, and I was still playing piano as my first study, and I just I hated it. Like well, I didn't hate it, but I was I wasn't a good performer, um, and I got really really nervous. Right. Uh, so I remember like doing that performance and going downstairs and lying down on this sofa. In the basement of the concert hall and just thinking i'm never going to do that again
0: and then <laughs> but, i mean you're doing a, a music degree mm. and at the end of the second year you've kind of decided that music performance or composition isn't the way to go
1: Composition, i was never interested in right, right. I, I never but even but pretended from a performance perspective yeah, no, I was like, did you kind I of go. still
0: think i still need to be around this oh it wasn't a decision of way.
1: is this the right direction for me to go and it was just I'm never going to perform live again okay um, and no, you didn't no no never did never <laughs> did I actually consciously stopped playing the piano in my mid 20s okay. and decided th- to never play again and um, after you know almost 20 years of playing the piano uh,
0: Does, but on the flip side of that in the roles that you have now working with creators working with composers working in a studio environment at times does that background in performing and playing music absolutely actually oh helps?
1: it's huge it's um i guess the craft of music supervision people come to it from like from every different yeah. angle um and i feel like one of my strengths is my ability to speak to composers in their own language you know that that years and years of performing and the 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 headspace that you get into as a performer and the things that you learn didn't stop for me when i stopped performing because i was um i was studying analysis and aesthetics and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so i was still doing you know very complicated theoretical music i just wasn't spending a lot of time practicing and performing anymore but i was listening and studying so yeah my musical education carried on from there, I just really didn't like sitting at a piano in a concert hall and attempting to sort of ham fistedly bash my way through. So you finished that course
0: though? Oh yeah, I, I graduated so you from Edinburgh the, University. The third year.
1: Yeah, it was four years because it's Scotland. Okay. Yeah, so I, I just I just refocused and I focused on um, modern music, uh, like classical music from nineteen forty-five till nineteen eighty, I think it was. So
0: what does a course like that entail? Because um, that's Uh, Edinburgh music at Edinburgh is hardcore it is rather hardcore but it's also very um,
1: it's like a sort of old traditional red brick university so you don't have many like young firebrands such as yourself you know in there like talking from their own perspective about about the cutting edge of the music business yeah you have
0: do you think that's something that it misses do you think it's something maybe they do have
1: that now I I graduated from there in 2004 Uh so it was a long time ago now um but it, it certainly wasn't what I needed, because that's not what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I was interested in classical music, and um, yeah, so there was just lots of old men who were very into Bach and Wagner, okay. who some of them used to fall asleep in your tutorials. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really funny. It was a really interesting, lovely place. Um, but and, it was I very mean, much separated from reality. It was sort of like a Hogwarts for... Yeah, very much well. so, yeah. Did you
0: find that easy, hard? Is that no, the kind of headspace, head... Space, head it's the kind of brain you've got. It's the kind of brain I would like to have, and I pretend to have.
1: <laughs> but, but if I, in, in the sort of quiet moments at night, I can, I'm man enough to admit to myself now that I'm not, you know, particularly academic. I, you know, I have to, I have to work quite hard to, mm-hmm. to get to where I wanted to be. But I was always really interested in it. You know, when I talk to people about their university years, they're like, "Oh yeah, I was just like off smoking loads of weed, and I never went to my lectures, and you know, I was doing all this stuff." I was like in four years I went to every lecture and every tutorial I never missed a single one mm-hmm. in four years even if I'd been up all night drinking I'd still be there in the morning in body in body yeah yeah maybe I once got turned away spirit. from. I, I got sent home, kindly sent home by one of my senior lecturers at this uh, sort of uh, performance tutorial
0: She's said, like why don't you why don't you go home to bed mate? I think <laughs> I had one of those as well <laughs> yeah. I think I'd done four nights on the spin Ooh. maybe even five this was in when I could yeah <laughs> oh yeah I mean I haven't i don't drink anymore We're not y- drunk for a y- year and, and any half. Anymore, no. but um yeah i just remember sitting in my lesson i think i kept my sunglasses on and pretty much just went no calls and just put my head down <laughs>
1: just, yeah they left me to it that that is a it's a stretch of logic that makes sense to you at the time keeping your sunglasses on but it's like a big neon sign over the top of your head yes. saying i'm not okay <laughs> isn't it yes <laughs> um,
0: From the music industry perspective, that, that kind of that culture of going out, yeah, and drinking and socialising and things like that. Do you think that still exists? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. in a slightly different way. I mean, there's, um,
1: I guess, if you're talking about purely the music industry, which I'm not really part of, like the recorded music industry. Obviously, as we all know, there's not a lot of money in it anymore. Well, not the same type of money in the same type of way it's going up. anymore. Um, there's obviously yeah, it's obviously changing, but what but I'm but you're in about an area of the industry
0: that still relies heavily on networking, on contacts, on building relationships, yes, things like that. So those those tactics, those techniques that are have always been the case in, mm-hmm. in the music industry very much. Oh still yeah, in still, your oh yeah, warehouse.
1: absolutely. But
0: I've sort of taken myself,
1: excuse me, out of that a little bit. I used mm-hmm. to do it a lot, and you know I've always um, loved a party, um, but. I think now I'm, you know, I'm 38 now. Um, I'm not gonna be rubbing shoulders with the young producers and the young assistant producers at advertising agencies at these parties. Like that's that's a sort of a younger man's game. I think so my 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 marketing and networking tactics have changed from that. I still, you know, I still go out, but it's mostly um, going out with friends from the industry or going to gigs or whatever. I don't, um, like we consciously stopped going to Cannes Lions Festival okay. two or three years ago now. Um, because I just don't see the... I see the value in it, because I always pull work out of there, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a dad. I don't want to be away for a week hammering the rosé all day long and, you know, getting into wild scrapes and, uh, you know, meeting people through that, through this shared strange experience that you've had at five in the morning. Are, I don't have the stamina for it anymore.
0: Are you seeing... Someone who's been in the industry since, what, 07? About that, About yeah. About that, so... Yeah, yeah, have so. Have you seen that as you've developed... Through it, mm-hmm. from kind of the yeah, I'm going to everything and I'm partying it up to, to picking and choosing. Maybe the way that you develop relationships about maintaining the relationship absolutely that you have as opposed to going out and trying to meet twenty thirty new people. Yeah, do you see that the other the people have shifted along with you?
1: I to be perfectly honest, um, the way like we'll get into this later, but the way we work as a company, um, mm. we we don't tend to watch. How other people are doing things and what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, because we don't really feel like we're competing with them. Okay, um, I'm sure people are still doing that, mm-hmm. um, but for us, certain for me in particular, um, the way that I the way that I sort of create, foster, and nurture client relationships now is definitely not through like meeting people when I'm out and going out boozing mm-hmm. anymore. You know, that might be a, a side effect of it. Say we um, we finish a big job with an existing client or we've had a, a spate of, you know, multiple, like, mid-budget jobs with them and it's time to, like, hang out and, you know, and sort of not talk about work and go out for lunch. We may do that and then lunch turns into afternoon and afternoon turns into evening as these things yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. But there's no pressure on me in that situation to... Um, come away with a particular result that I've been looking for from the outset. Mm -hmm. You know, like you go out and you take some people for lunch and you ply them a drink, and like, I hope I come across well, I hope that they'll give me some work after this. That's, I think that, the rejection of that philosophy comes from Toby, like my, the owner of 32 Music, and Mm -hmm. my partner in the other businesses, he's always been suspicious of stuff like that. He's like, don't take someone out for lunch if you've never met them before, you know, engage with them in a different way, come up, you know, Develop a relationship in a different way, and then that
0: sort of thing yes. is um, like. Have you after. got any insights into that, into the world of you know the business development side of things? That are, you know, if do you go after people that you've never met before?
1: Interesting question. Generally speaking, no, okay. I don't, um, because at some
0: point you're always going to get to a point where you kind of think we should probably.
1: Yeah, but there are other ways to do it. Okay. Um, we have always operated as like a really sort of strong, tight core. As, uh, in all of our businesses like a nimble team where we can scale up and scale down mm-hmm. when we want to but there are only three of us who are here all of the time and we don't have time to be going out knocking on at all the doors nope. and since even since we started 32 the explosion of new music companies like everything's fragmenting I like wanted people to are come leaving you no. know like leaving Adelphoi or other places like that, or you know Wake the Town or Theodore and they're yep. going and forming their new businesses so like it's it's, it's just growing and growing and growing and at the same time as the industry is changing and shrinking so that the number of high budget tv jobs that are out there for everyone to share Mm -hmm. arguably is decreasing because marketing budgets are fragmenting and people are making a lot more content and there's Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know there are less of these big tv ads that um that sustain companies like that so the effect of that is that the people that you're targeting have been targeted to fuck by everybody. And I speak to all, you know... All I, of, I
0: remember so when I was at Sound Lounge, I remember chatting to a uh, head of TV at... I can't remember the agency it was, but she said that 75% of the weekly cold calls that she gets are from the music industry. Is it, yeah. In some way, shape or form. And so... And you just... That's so much noise. It's bananas, isn't it? <laughs> to get yourself through. So if you...
1: If you've armed yourself with that knowledge and then you think from the perspective of the person that you're trying to contact, you have to be on your best day or you have to catch them at exactly the it's right time about to luck. cut through the noise. So, for, and then you have to look at what your role is and how much time you have and what you, where your energy is being best mm-hmm. directed. And you know, I've, I've been doing this for quite a long time now. Yeah, yeah. We have businesses to run, I'm, you know, I'm very experienced, um, my time is not best spent attempting to cut through noise and, and just jogging the phones all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not where my energy and I'm it's not everybody's
0: in depends, your opinion. It
1: depends on which company you're working for. And it depends on because if you have a large company, there are other you know, there are other music companies out there who are working in the same space as us who have a big office, mm-hmm. lots of staff, big overheads. They need to hit certain monthly targets to pay for everything and to and to make sure that at the end of the financial year they've got enough money to run the business for the next year. Mm-hmm. So in that instance, yes, I guess so, because okay. it's a numbers game. And if you can employ somebody to do that, and that's their job and they want to do it because they're hungry and you mm-hmm. can pay them 20 grand a year or whatever to just hammer the phones and they're charismatic and young and they want to get out there and meet people, there's value in that because it will pay dividends, but you mm-hmm. have to do it all day and you have to not mind doing that all day. Yeah. It <laughs> destroys my soul. I can't do it because I... Mm-hmm you sort of, you're putting yourself out there as, you you can very easily take it personally when people aren't getting back to you or aren't listening to your message or, you know, and if it's, certainly for me, like, it it affects me badly. Like, I'm like, oh, Christ, like, this is... What have I done wrong? Well, yeah, yeah, or just, you know, really soul destroying. You're like, well, am I doing it right? Like, I don't, I'm not, you know, I haven't got the sort of elephant skin to be like a hungry sales guy. So instead of any of that, we don't do any of that. We don't do any cold calling. We, do, we send a couple of you know, cold emails occasionally, but only if there's a link there. Um, but we, we run off referrals
0: okay. c- entirely. Okay. So, so all of our business comes do from you, referrals. And in the nicest way possible, do you push for referrals? Of course. So you are, it's, and it's, it's a game where you kind of, you have to be OK. You can't be meek about, oh no. We won't ask for for help from those people that we've done some great work for. You go, no. no, if you've done if you've done great work, you really push for. Hey, you don't can need you to push for it we, because okay.
1: you manage the relationship with your clients in such a way that there's a real rapport there, and they respect you because you're advising them correctly, you're doing good work for them, and you're on the same level as them. So when it comes to the time for you to say, "This is how we work," "This is the way we get new business," mm-hmm. the reason I'm working with you is because. Joe Bloggs at Agency X referred me to you. Mm -hmm. That's why we're working together. You never knew, you 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 never received a call from us before you were recommended by your friend to use us. Can you pass that down the line? And everyone's always really happy to do it. Mm -hmm. And we've got some great work from that from cool. people going, oh yeah, I never thought of doing that. I've got a friend who works at this massive agency who's doing <laughs> loads of ads and like needs and told me yesterday that they need someone to clear a track and it just didn't occur to me to... <laughs> but sometimes it does though, sometimes people do it off their own back, but mm-hmm. mostly if you just give them a little nudge and say, look man, this is, how, this is how it works for us, have you got any thoughts? They'll always be completely happy to do it. And that's also, it's much more effective. Because if someone's working on something and their mate is working at a different agency and they put a flea in their ear just saying like, look man, you should work with these guys. We work with them. They're great. This is what they did for us when we thought we couldn't turn it around. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. They're always more willing to take a recommendation. And actually sometimes they'll do it because they're getting so many cold calls. If they get a decent recommendation from someone else, i are like, do you know what, I'm just going to use them and I'm not going to even bother trying to think about the 50 other people that have called me in the last six months. Yeah. At least that's how I see it anyway. That's what I see out there, Uh, there'll be a lot of other perspectives.
0: You've only had two jobs in the music business in theory? Um, in, felt music and, and yeah vendors. i have a lot of jobs here now so you but, could probably
1: but but yeah, but yes you, you you you
0: started two, I'd say life two at felt music employers yeah i
1: started life at felt music yeah
0: and you were there for seven years seven years man boy. and all that sort of stuff and then you moved on to here so you were pretty green when you started oh, was, at felt music where did you start yeah, like what were felt music island strip <laughs> i
1: was really 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 green like the greenest person I guess, I think, that
0: has ever pitched up in the industry. And was that just a hit and hope from a from a job posting on Music Week or something like no. that? No. Or was it um, an internship that developed? It was developed? an
1: internship, but um, what Felt had done at the time, there were only three people there. It was Natalie and Steve who owned the company. So
0: Felt Music were a music supervision company, but also they had a catalogue they, no, they worked this with was, this was ages the ago they okay. were representing certain labels right loosely um
1: but this was back in the really early days of felt i think they'd only been around for three or four years at the time
0: this was oh seven yeah as well um, so this was when there was also a bit like well unlike what you mentioned about the industry today there wasn't as many oh no definitely not. Kicking no, no 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 it was
1: completely different yeah. there was no file transfer stuff then we were running cds around to agencies. Yeah.
0: But the I remember doing that, Sony ATV.
1: Yeah, but I was, um, I was doing my master's degree at Goldsmiths at the time and I was sort of writing my um, dissertation and I didn't even have a telly, I didn't know what a music supervisor was, it hadn't ever occurred to me that that was a thing, because I didn't watch telly, I didn't really watch that many films, um, I certainly didn't watch commercials, all I was doing was reading weird books about 20th century composers. But then one day this email came through the central like, um, university uh, um, hub, I guess you'd call it, the ones that they used to send out emails about different classrooms being closed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was this felt music in Soho, are looking for interns. And um, I it really interested me and I clicked on their website and it just blew my mind. I remember the, like hitting their homepage. It was back. Websites were slightly different then and there was this track that played and they had this beautiful flower. Um, logo on the website, yeah. and it just like blew my mind. Like every everything about it, and I spent hours like going through their website and listening to the music that was on there, and trying to find out about them. And it just yeah, it it, it blew my mind that there was this whole thing that I'd, I I didn't even it didn't even occur to me that existed.
0: So they were music, they were a music supervision agency Yeah, but they also represented represented catalog, yeah, like yeah labels like, like um, Tom
1: Tomlab and Touchtones and Acid Jazz and stuff right. like that back then. So, um, so yeah, I went for an interview with them and, like, you know, I didn't know, I didn't even know where Soho was. I'd never been, I, I was living in not in New Cross, but I'd never been up to central London. And mm-hmm. It just didn't occur to me to do it. I didn't have any money. So, like, I went yeah. there in like, and, like, I used to, I was a bartender for years, so I still had my bar blacks. Like I still had my black trousers and my black shirt and, like, a red tie that I used to wear when I was cocktail bartending. So I turned up in that and Steve Spiro, one of the owners of Felt still enjoys, sort of, cussing me out and telling the tale of me turning up in a suit to the interview <laughs> she says
0: I've got a few mates that have got that as a as a story that their very first interview in the music industry they went in a suit
1: It's so weird and I think Steve Gerard was, Phillips from, oh yeah yeah he,
0: he's, he's got a great story of just rocking up at his first job interview yeah. hello in a sir, suit, so they my went, name is Alexander what, what you doing <laughs> yeah here is my
1: CV, I've printed it out for you. And they were just like, who the fuck is this guy? But um, I guess I came across well and I got on well with them even though the interview was really weird and it freaked me out. And Steve was super intense in a really, really funny way. Nice. But then eventually like they they sent me a few briefs to work on um, and then they gave me a sort of, I think it was like a four-week internship or something where I was just dogs bodying, cleaning out cupboards, Mm -hmm. running around. Um, I think before i went there like um someone gave me the best advice i've ever had in my entire life um which was you turn up to a new job find a way to make yourself indispensable yeah so do whatever it is like it doesn't have to be a big thing but look at how it's going look at what they're struggling with look at what they don't even know they're struggling with look at what's disorganized look at what's in the wrong place fix it without being told to just do it and by the time your probation or your internship or whatever is over they can't imagine what it's gonna be like without you because you just did stuff and now it's all running smoothly and now they're used to it, mm-hmm. and so they can't get rid of you. And that, that, that's just what I did. If I had any downtime, I would go and I'd look at the cupboard with all of the shit in and I would clean it out or I would reorganize the CD shelves because they still had those at the mm-hmm. time or clean something up. I just loved it. I, I was into it from the very beginning. I was obsessed, it was great.
0: And you were at one company for seven years yeah. throughout a time where the area of the business developed a hell of a lot. Mm. Yeah. What did that, how did that manifest itself? How did it how look be, when-
1: being, being at the same company for that. Yeah, what well,
0: kind of just, you know, what, what did the company look like? What did the job entail look like when you started versus Completely when different.
1: you left? Yeah, there was um, a girl called Jo Schaff there that was um, doing the music supervision stuff. and when you got a music search and then you would look through your iTunes or the CD shelves that you had or you'd send out, to, um, you know, send out an email to the, the rights holders and then the next day they'd bike you over a CD with their music search on which you would then have to rip on your computer and then you would make a CD of your music search and print out the thing with all of the track names and titles on it and then you would send your bike courier to the agency to deliver the CD of your music search. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously it developed hugely. The, the company felt developed and changed massively while I was there and it grew and they decided to set up a library. So I was sort of instrumental in helping with that. And then they set, they set up a studio as well. But yeah, the, the job changed. But for the first couple of years, I wasn't really doing a huge amount of music supervision. I no. was just doing whatever they needed me to do, you
0: know? Was it, you mentioned set up a library. Yeah. Studio, studio. production, and all that sort of stuff was that a must have for that sort of a company to continue to to function to survive no. in in the in the space where m- there were more and more competitors co- appearing in the industry and things like that I don't it's a possibility because at the time nowadays it's
1: very different everyone's freelance and people are keeping it small because you can and because you don't need as many resources to mm-hmm. do you know what we do then but I guess it depends for for other music companies like I don't know your Adelphos of the world or maybe your Soundtrees or whatever have their own in-house composers and so studios and stuff are more important to them because they've got people working in there all day long doing that Mm -hmm. it depends on what you how you structure your company and what your unique selling point is I guess as to what is and isn't essential the library thing I think um, I think it's become essential for them It um, it was years and years of setting it up and working out how to do it and right. you know trial and error and I think you know most of the error was probably my fault when I was there but now they're they're going great guns man you see the the stuff that felt they're doing at the moment it's amazing they're, yeah. you know they've really um they've really grown and they're really shining I think a lot they got better quite quickly after I left which was <laughs> which I felt quite difficult <laughs> to deal with
0: were there, were there any areas in those first seven years from the time of I don't know what the hell this is to I really get knowing it what, it, what it is were there any areas that you found particularly hard? Yes. Yeah, no, most of them.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I've always found going out and meeting people um, in this industry really difficult because I don't feel like I, I never wanted to be here I did it because I'm, I'm really into music and I just wanted a job in music and I just I never really I never had a plan or Mm -hmm. a direction or a trajectory or anything. I just fell into this because it was the first thing that I saw. Mm -hmm. And it gave me the opportunity to come out of my master's degree and have a job in music rather than just moving back to Newcastle and working in a bank or something. So that's why I did it. But it meant that I wasn't prepared for the way people were and the type of attitudes that people had and the type of egos that people had in the advertising industry. Certainly, I never felt like I belonged there until I got... You know, into my into my thirties, and I became a bit more confident, and I know what I'm talking about. Now, I always found that really difficult going out and selling, and I just, you know, I just didn't, never really, I guess, seemed like I fitted in there or belonged.
0: I can relate. Yeah, to that. I kind of still, feel yeah, a little bit like that. I but think you and I are probably quite similar in that. In it that it respect. Is, it's that there's a definite type of person that's really good at excels at that kind of the hard sell the salesman Toby angle. my
1: partner he's amazing at it both it. of his parents were in advertising he's you know he was taken to Cannes when he was a baby like he's just in that world he understands it he understands the way people talk he understands the way people think he understands the vagaries of production and did before he should have done mm-hmm. in his you know career arc so he was always really good at that stuff I was crap at it and um, you know I've, I found that really I found that really difficult but also um, what I found really difficult as well is changing my mentality in the way I viewed music. Like, I've always been a voracious music listener, and I, that's all I ever did, you know, just listening to music, listening to music, listening to music. But having to listen to music with an agenda, like mm-hmm. with a way of analysing it and making value judgments about it that aren't the innate ones that you normally make when you're listening to a piece of music. Okay. So for like, whether you're thinking this is good or bad, or I love the way that that melodic line develops or yada, 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 you're actually thinking... Is this on brand is this going to work with this footage is mm-hmm. the pace of it going to carry the edit you know is it dramatic enough for when that car comes around the you know the coastline road in south africa like is it you know when they catch the bottle is that edit point going to work with this or is that not editable is there an instrument that runs over there that means you can't do a hard cut there and bring the rest of the other bit yeah. of the track in all of that stuff I found quite difficult to pick up and and to get my head into not only do I like this piece of music, and if I was watching this would I like to hear it, to what do the brand want? What does the ECD want? What do the young creative team want? What are their motivations? Are they trying to win an award? Are they trying to, you know, is that why they're asking for the music that they're asking for, or are they asking for it because they know that it's going to pass up the chain and hit the ECD and it's fine to go to the brand? All of that stuff. It took me years to learn that.
0: I'm guessing now that you've worked alongside and with people who are kind of your more traditional music composers, but also people that have specialised in the area of writing for film and TV, mm-hmm. things like that. Are there big differences in the way that they operate? I mean, they're all composers, yeah.
1: Um, what between each other or from a music supervisor? between each other so when you're
0: sitting down there and you're writing a piece of music for the for you know because of the piece of music versus uh, I've got to hit these edit points I've got to find this is this the right instrument for this piece of work you know you're working with dailies I'm going to start farming out stuff
1: yeah it's got I mean it's a completely different um, process it's a completely different process because you're not um, you're not writing just what comes from inside you're not trying to tell a personal story you're not trying to reflect something you're a lot of music is a reflection of a certain time in someone's life or a certain um, moment in the development of society or culture or whatever. It's, you know, if you look at like Jungle or something, it really, it reflects like this incredible time in the development of music or in, you know, the development of, of culture and how people were interacting with one another. And that that's absent from, well, yeah, that's that's a sweeping statement, but it's certainly when you're talking about writing for adverts, adverts, that type of motivation is absent from that unless you're trying to synthesise it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're writing something because someone's told you to, and you're writing it to. You're writing it to make the people that are consuming it feel a certain way about, about a third party. Mm -hmm. whether that is you know a brand or a product or a service or whatever you're trying to make people you're trying to implant an emotion into somebody to make them feel a certain way about an object or a
0: thing something that comes up a lot with teaching songwriting students Mm -hmm. is that they do not like or they find it very hard to wrap their head around what you've just said that separating the art from the commerce side of songwriting that's why it's really
1: difficult to work on bespoke composition briefs with commercial artists sometimes okay because if you tell them that's not right they'll be like yes it is that you asked me to write this i wrote it that's what you get like no (laughs) yeah i'm not saying it's shit i'm saying it's not right and yeah i guess how does that i mean
0: how feel free to don't mention any names, but in times when you've had to deal with that as the supervisor, as the kind of the point person, yeah. having to deal with a songwriter that's maybe not as used to writing songs or writing music rather in that context and having to differentiate it, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's bad, yeah. it's just not right. How do you manage that situation? Now because I've got so much experience in doing it,
1: um, like any part of production, there's, um, you manage expectations at the beginning, so you say this is what is involved, this is what we're working on, this is how much money is involved, this is going to be the process. They say this is how we work and as a supervisor we're hands-on and we'll collaborate on the production of this track and so when they hand something in they already know that there's going to be feedback and there's going to be changes but they know that also we're doing it because we know what's going to work for that particular piece of content. We know our client, we know how they work. We've worked with them before. We understand what the, mm-hmm. um, how many stakeholders are in it, like, and how to, um, how to submit something that has the best chance of winning. Um, we were working on a, a trailer for Netflix recently for, um, for US TV and working with one of our artists from our record label, which I think we'll, maybe chat about later Matt but he's a commercial artist Um, he's uh, he's only recently started doing media composition after we signed him up to our label so he's Mm -hmm. sort of not used to that way of working but he's a musical genius I mean the stuff that he writes is insane but he wrote um, he wrote this demo and we were like this is great this is brilliant this you need to change this that melody's got the wrong mood, you need, we need to lighten that up and do all this stuff and gave him a list of changes he was like, oh, so you asked me to change everything I like about it basically, like, as you know, he was joking but he did it and then, mm. and then it won the job and so I guess what I'm saying is that we'd communicate to them we might be asking you to make changes but there's a reason that, you know, we're doing it so that you've got the best chance of winning this job and if we're asking you to make changes, our opinion is that it's not right and it won't win the job in its current state and that opinion has been formed by 12 years of doing this job yeah, yeah, yeah. and understanding how it works and people respect that and they respond to it or at mm-hmm. least that you know if they don't then we don't work with them again
0: what prompted the leaving felt and and coming and setting this up
1: difficult question um, I've been at felt for seven years i was really embedded in in the company and i love those guys so much they're family and they always will be um so it's a very difficult decision to leave but i felt like i'd gone as far as i could at the time um and i wanted to do something different like i wanted to have a look at maybe doing some film music supervision um i wanted a different lifestyle i wanted to try something different It my first job in the industry as you said mm. like i I could have stayed there forever, but I would never would have experienced anything else and, mm-hmm. and and put myself in a situation where I was forced to learn different things. You get comfortable and you and you get familiar with your surroundings and you and that eventually means that you're not challenged in the same way so Toby had left a couple of years previously and had set up on his own and was freelancing and and um he just said, "Look, I've got these some big contracts coming up, like I'll need somebody else and so we decided. I decided to leave and just sort of take the plunge and and start up with Toby and just see where it went Mm -hmm. and um, we had some we had a great contract doing the rights management for TV broadcasts of music festivals over the summer so I went to five different festivals was signing off tracks after the bands came off stage to go on the you know TV broadcast just a really fun summer doing something completely different learning Mm -hmm. loads of new skills Um, But I think I just wanted something I just wanted something different. I wanted to learn to learn different things. I just felt the time was right for me to for me to go, otherwise I would have just stayed there for the rest of my life.
0: So you've been doing this for five years? Five and a half? Five and and a half years. Yeah. How's and you've mentioned you've got a label now and things like that. So what prompted the addition of a record label? That
1: was Was it always the plan? No. Absolutely not. Toby and I, you know, we've been mates for years. We always talked about doing something like this together because we'd love to do it, Mm -hmm. Um, but we never had the time and we never thought that we'd want to sort of dump all of the money that it takes to set up a label on that. Um, So it was always like a pipe dream that we used to talk about when we were having a pint or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one day, um, my friend Rick, who's in the band pivot pvt used to be on warp records right um i was helping him out with some of his solo project stuff and he sent me this album and he was like look this is from a guy who's in a band called three trap tigers that we used to tour with when we were in pivot he's made this album um it's not right He's said rich so it's not right for the label i've just set up what do you think of it he you know he could do with some advice maybe i listened to it just fell in love with it immediately listened to it five times a day for a week and then, wow, what, what was that? It was typewritten by Matt Calvert, which was the first release on "Truant. So I passed it on to Toby. He loved it, and I was like, "Look, man, we need to, we need to release this." Like it's amazing. Like we, we, I can't I can't there's bear a, the thought of somebody else releasing this album.
0: There's like, a big step between, "Hey, mate, we need to li- release this," to actually going, "We're releasing this now."
1: Well, I think what we did was got his number and rang him up to like, you know. To see what he was like and talk about the album and I think that we were so passionate about it and and, you know obviously I'd listened to it so many times that Mm -hmm. he didn't really know what he wanted out of it you know he'd been releasing stuff for three Trapped Tigers and doing stuff with other side projects but this album Mm. I don't think he'd had a particular plan for it and then two guys who were intimately connected with the album knew it really well were really passionate about it, had already, you know, are already in the music industry and already doing other stuff, there's potential for other things for him to do there. I think mm-hmm. he just sort of thought, why not? Let's give it a pun. We didn't have a name for the label. We'd never yeah. run a label before. And I think obviously we had to be honest about that. Just like, look, this isn't our world. We haven't got a label. We're going to set one up just to release this album. Let's just give it a try
0: and with no solid expectations just we love this album so much that we want to be the ones to yeah. give it to the world Absolutely. Kind of thing. let's see how it goes and let's see how it goes and how did it go
1: it went well um it's um I mean I was really like gung-ho about doing this and Toby's a real a real savvy businessman so he sort of sat me down and was like we can do this it's going to be great, but you have to realise how much work's going to be involved in this and how much time you're going to have to spend And it. I was like, yeah, yeah, man, don't worry, future me, <laughs> I'll deal with that. And then lo and behold, it took fuck loads of time and it was really difficult. And mm-hmm. It took loads more time than I'd planned for and I had to learn all sorts of weird stuff. Um, but that, no regrets, it was it was a great decision. I love Truant,
0: our label. Um, and what album, it did do, it didn't go, well, we tried that and that was hard work, so we were not going to do it again, No. it actually galvanised you and say, no, actually, I really like this. I really like what this is. Let's continue to do it. Let's find more acts.
1: Yeah, well, the the second act came to us randomly as well. Um, Before even we released Typewritten, I was speaking at a um, music industry conference in Glasgow at Resonate, and um, these uh, twins from Dundee, got in touch with me afterwards and like I saw you speak at that thing we've just finished our second album we released the first one on 1631 Records Out of Scandinavia um, we just finished the second one is there anyone you can hook us up with can you give us any advice like how do we um, you know who can we put it in front of this is uh-huh. the expectations that we have above and beyond the first release and listen to that absolutely loved it Toby also loved it so we rang them up and it's like why don't you release it with us and I think obviously they were looking for something with a little bit more um you know, a little bit more, that was a little bit more legit maybe than us, I think maybe in a raised tapes or something. But again, like we were passionate about it. We all got on really well. They decided to decided to go for it and take a punt and that album did quite well as well. That was Kinbrae, uh, Landforms, the second mm-hmm. release.
0: And what, what are you trying to achieve? I guess with each of the releases I mean it's not like all right we need to hit certain no figures or anything like that no what is the the goal in each in each release to
1: form a relationship with these artists and give them opportunities that they might not necessarily have with going down a traditional label route or Mm self-releasing but we want to identify musical projects which we really believe in and we want to give them give them to the world basically Um, we
0: with no sales expectations, no. with no stats expectations Absolutely or anything not. like no, that. No, it's no, it's literally that. just we want to get this out because we think it's good enough, mm-hmm. and we want to just find as many people that yeah want to hear a community it as that surrounds it. As well.
1: Obviously, we want to we want the artist to benefit from it, but there are more ways to benefit from a label relationship than record sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are other opportunities for composition, for collaboration, for composing library music for example, for revenue streams that aren't connected to the sale of the physical record that mm-hmm. they sign to our label. And that's what we offer people. We, we want to build a family around Truant um, and keep these you know, composers active and um, connected with other jobs that we're working on with 32. <laughs>
0: Thirty-two is the kind of the the
1: Thirty-two cent- is cent- the central cent- hub for everything point. that we do. We've and got another business as well. Things like Natural Sound, and right. that, you know they they all sort of revolve around thirty-two. Is like the mothership.
0: And so when you're putting out a record via the label, mm-hmm. you can also start saying, well, what we've got, we're working with these composers now, so they can start bolting into the thirty-two stuff. Yeah. And you can obviously license the 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 tracks. Yeah. That well, side we're of things. um. um do you represent the publishing as yes. well? Okay, yeah, so yeah, we, we we have the publishing nice on just on
1: the copyrights that we sign yeah. for the for the masters. But yeah, we have a sub publishing deal with Manners McDade. They're like, yeah, just a, a group of really dynamic individuals who um, who just really get it, they're really passionate about music, the stuff that we're doing fits into what they're doing, but they were always the um, they were always the people that we wanted to work with, they were the, really the only choice okay. for us we really really love what they do and you know really love their the passion that they have and the Mm -hmm. dynamism as a company Um, so they're they sub-publish us and we're just doing a, a deal to represent the masters through a, a sync agent at the moment who we haven't signed the contract so I won't name
0: them yet oh what um, so you're actually doing a deal with somebody else to for the masters to, to rep your yeah, masters yeah to rep the masters so you're yeah. not man
1: has rep the publishing copyrights okay. and we're doing a deal with somebody else to rep. no we don't want to we're not doing any of that obviously we'll pitch stuff if we think it's right but um, 32 is an independent business with no catalogue affiliations uh, okay. so it impedes on our business model to to built-in catalogue affiliations to So it.
0: you don't want to be in that place where you're trying to win a job with this idea of you'll just sell us your own stuff? God, no.
1: No, that completely goes that, against everything that we've built into the company from yeah, day yeah. dot.
0: We're okay. a completely independent resource. And is there any formal idea of where you want the kind of the right-signer side of things to go? Have you kind of gone, let's try and sign one, one thing a year, or is it just when stuff comes along?
1: it's been when stuff comes along because it's been mostly from our network we've got another release coming in less than four weeks then we've got the fourth one coming in November beginning of November which is a big one Mm -hmm. yeah release four is um, a side project of a guy called Jack Wiley who is in Portico Quartet and Sunwaves Mm -hmm. Um, and a guy called Will Ward who's like a a techno producer basically this is their a side project of theirs which is They describe it as deconstructed techno but it's much more like ambient new age stuff um made from densely layered saxophone loops which are affected to sound not like saxophone okay yeah and this is again
0: come from recommendations and things like that i knew i
1: know jack because he's a also a media composer okay so i've um i went and caught up with him um
0: it's not like you're getting ago. sent a bunch of demo CDs we have. We, we started getting get sent
1: demos, actually. Okay. After Typewritten and Landforms came out, that's when the demos started coming in. It was hmm. really interesting. Like people sending us really good
0: stuff. Yeah.
1: But a lot of it, you know, obviously, like the... Um, well, you've like got...
0: You're not just suddenly going to start putting out eight albums a year or anything like that. Well, we that, can't. So. And it's expensive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it costs <laughs> it a lot is. of money to put out an album so that we realise. And we press vinyl as well. And we okay. And we also pay for PR. Like, we do a proper PR campaign with every release mm-hmm. um, and make sure that the best is done for them, um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's web design, there's mastering costs, there's the production of music videos, there's vinyl pressing, there's PR. Like it's thousands of pounds to release. Are you albums. in a position to say kind of how much your budget budgeting? I'd rather not speaking. go into oh. specific numbers, but you know, it's ballpark several thousand pounds okay. are released but with you know with everything else in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, we have to be realistic about what we're willing to dump into it mm-hmm. every year as like something that started off as a passion project really
0: and uh, last because this is more kind of just morbid fascination on me yeah. are you making your money back
1: um yes, in a way um, it's, it's a it's a long game, yeah. really we're making money back certainly um, but again, that was never really the driving force of it it will what we're building is something that's going to have real value in the future once there's a lot more um, once there are more releases and once there's a bit more buzz around the label itself each when you're a brand new label each individual release um will garner its own sort of buzz as a particular release but then there will obviously come a point as a label where people will just buy this stuff that you release because they trust your ears and Mm -hmm. they like the stuff that you've done before but we're not quite at that stage yet where we're recognized enough as a brand in its own right Right. for people to buy into that Mm -hmm. rather than this sort of hermetic um ecosystem of fans that surround each individual release separately okay Cool. So there, yeah, there's definitely a vision for the future, but at the moment we're just really enjoying doing the it journey. and learning new things. Yeah, yeah. We just got the cassette tapes back for release nice. number
0: three. <laughs> cassette Cassettes. tapes. You've gone down that road. Yeah, we have. You mentioned, you know, this was something that was set up. 2014, 2015, sort of of area. The area of the business that you inhabit has kind of exploded. Definitely. A little bit. There's, as you mentioned, a lot of companies have kind of, people have left those companies, started up their own companies, or, you know, all that sort of stuff, and then you've got lots of freelancers going on, so there's a hell of a lot more competition. So, what is the... What's the the climate like? What's the ecosystem like for music supervision agencies at the the moment? It depends who you are, obviously. Um, There's still a lot of work out there,
1: but um, there are lots and lots of people chasing after it. Um, Also, the type of work has changed, so we're not just talking about commercials now. We're not talking about TV commercials, Mm -hmm. which you can win, you know, if you're a smaller company, you can win a a handful a month and you know, make a really good living because the, there's a lot of money in them whether you're charging your you know, clearance fees or whether you're composing. Um, now there's, there's a huge amount of different work out there but a lot of it is content stuff right. and the budget's completely different for that. Are you finding
0: you're doing a hell of a lot more of that? That's Loads. The, that's the core? Yes.
1: Um, well, what happened to us was we were, we were working with a lot of agencies and doing our traditional Work, which was the you know, music searches, licensing, yep. uh, rights negotiation, and composition, and more and more producers that we were familiar with and worked with a lot would be would say, okay, right, you you know you've been doing this stuff for for us for a while. Can you also take care of this? Can you also do a library search for us? Can you take care of the sound mix? Can you take care of you know all of this stuff that wasn't necessarily within that like okay. normal music supervision remit? And that's I guess a lot of that was because budgets were changing and they couldn't necessarily afford to go and sit and wave all day long and pay 350 quid an hour whatever it was to do their sound mix. They had loads of films to to do for a particular campaign which were gonna go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just needed somebody to take care of all of that. So that started happening more and more. And we saw, I guess, saw the writing on the wall and saw how the industry was changing and how in a couple of years time the way that everyone was working would be completely different. So we siphoned off that, that, those services and formed a new business called Virtual Sound which is, deals with audio post-production okay. consultancy for branded content production. Nice. Um, and that's insanely busy because there's a lot of content stuff out there and the people that are producing it want to ring up someone who knows what they're talking about who can take a lot of the workload off their hands and mm-hmm. then just deliver it back to them and they don't have to pay any of the suppliers. So yeah, that um, that's changed a lot, but that also upstreams to thirty-two. So there's a lot of um, content work that still requires music composition and music licensing, but you have to be creative and realistic about the budgets. There, you know, people are not going to be paying twenty-five k for your composition no. anymore How's for that the... particular type of work. You have to understand that and find a way to work around it while still retaining the value of what you do.
0: How's the relationship with the industry going when it comes to that side of things, when there's a lot more branded stuff that's the budgets are lower because they're churning out more music, the, you know all the fallout from the various changes in rules and regulations that's been going you know, on. And how are our
1: relationships with the rights holders? Yeah, and, with the, you know, and the, the labels and publishers
0: that. that want all their music on this stuff and then when you turn around and say, yeah, but it's not going to, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not a huge budget. Um, they understand you know like that. we're not the only music company that's ringing
1: them up you know mm-hmm. they're getting hundreds of calls a day from people just like us saying this is what we're working on this is the budget they get it you know they, and they um, they have to find a creative way to work around that and still and still you know get sync revenue for their copyrights so if you sit there holding out for your big commercial and refusing all lower budget work that comes in there's going to come a time where you're going to get, you know, ac- the occasional big budget stuff but the people that are making the, that are supervising the small stuff aren't going to come to you anymore because they know that you're going to refuse to license anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, everyone has to adapt. You know, you can still retain, the, you still retain the value of what you do but come up with other ways to um, exploit your copyrights.
0: And our rights owners, you know, the, com- the commercial Songwriters, the bands, the artists, the managers—getting easier to deal with year on year. Are they being more and more and more open? Obviously, there's a few Definitely. holdouts that are still always going to be there. But that I did—that stigma that was once attached to music and advertising—that oh idea yeah, that's gone. I think. Music, is um, it kind of completely disappeared now.
1: I think it's yeah, predominantly, but also managers are getting more savvy as well. Like there's managers will be going into their music publishing being like when are we going to get on Love Island? When are we going to get on Made in Chelsea? That sort of, you Because they see the promo value. Exactly, stuff. exactly. Yeah. And like the most amount of Shazams come from programs like that. You know, there's touring obviously, but they're mm-hmm. not making lots of money on record sales. So they, people who are going into this industry and wanting to make money as an artist, they have to be realistic about where that money's going to come from. Mm-hmm. And sync revenues are a part of that. So I think the the, the dirty word around advertising is sort of, it's changed now, definitely people are much more um, open to that being a part of their revenue
0: what's the exciting things that are happening at the in Q4 for you and um, this company so we've got you've got the art you've got the the releases yeah we've got two out. new
1: releases coming out um, one in October one in November hmm yeah so that's incredibly exciting um, virtual sound is going from strength to strength. We've uh, we've done some really big work recently. We've been working with Netflix, with Gucci, with Pandora, with Huawei, with you know all sorts of big brands. Um, and so we see a lot of exciting growth there.
0: And, and is that stuff that's going to be available to view?
1: Absolutely. Most of it's on our showreel already, but there's some other stuff, Netflix stuff and whatnot that's not quite hit the show reel yet, but will do.
0: And it's um, Netflix and that sort of area of the business. Is that where the fun?
1: I love it. Yeah, the fun stuff is coming out. Yeah, uh, because yeah.
0: they they're turning out a hell of a lot of content. Yeah, well, this mostly with um
1: still with like the um uh, on the brand side of things. So, either promo or, for or Netflix, whatever. The yeah, brand for direct as with Netflix, their, but like their their promo content rather right. than like Netflix series. Okay. But, you know, never say never. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so we've got uh we've got a lot of interesting stuff going on i think 32 um we'll have a bit of a refresh and rebrand we've just been going up the chain Mm -hmm. we've been redesigning the truant website and then doing virtual sounds and next on the list is 32. okay so yeah that will be starting very soon and remind me again of the releases the one coming out i think it's the 4th of october is null That's an EP on cassette and then Chorus. Just on cassette? Just on cassette and digital. And then Chorus is coming out at the beginning of November. It's a full LP. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Yeah. Cheers.
0: Massive thank you to Alex for having me over uh, for a chat. Uh, you might have heard uh, one of his work colleagues coming in. Um, and so massive thank you to him for, for being quiet and for <laughs> nicely slinking out of the office to let us continue our conversation. Uh, if you're interested in what 32 Music are doing, uh, check out their website, 32.tv. Find them on Twitter at 32 music. That's the word, 32, not numbers. Uh, You can find them on LinkedIn, 30-2-music, and also on Facebook, 32music. Uh, If you're interested in the stuff that they're doing with Truant Recordings, check out truantrecordings.com. Typewritten by Matt Calvert and Landforms by Kimbray are both available now on Spotify. And Mythologies by Null is not out yet, but will be out on Friday, on the 4th of October. So make sure that you check that out on Spotify as of Friday. If you are interested in pre-ordering it, though, you can go to the Truant Recordings website and pre-order the cassette now. As always, do get in touch with the show. I'd love to get a bit of feedback from anybody um, at... Our email address or my email address, behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at behindthebusinesspod and also find me on Twitter at Danny Champion. If you listen to this podcast via an app that allows you to rate or review it, please do. If you are an Apple podcast listener, then a five-star rating would be amazing really really helpful um as i've mentioned in past i've got plenty of other episodes coming up should be able to go through until christmas eve so looking forward to bringing you some more chats over the coming weeks but until next week thank you very much for listening and you will hear me again very soon